Welcome back to the Refugee Report. This week's focus is the ongoing conflicts throughout the region of Sudan. The area has dealt with civil war for decades, and despite seceding into two countries, each country still faces conflicts within their own borders. The situation in both Sudan and South Sudan is extremely complicated and nuanced. It is a story of colonialism, religious differences, authoritarianism, and ethnic tensions. Before diving into this history, we would like to warn you that the information and audio presented may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. The region of Sudan consists of modern-day Sudan and South Sudan. It sits on the Nile River and straddles the Zahara Desert and the Congo. Its geography has created rich biodiversity throughout the region, allowing humans to survive there for tens of thousands of years. In fact, it has one of the oldest cultures in human history. The region was home to ancient Nubia, a society that dates back to 30,000 BCE. Its only large competitor and neighbor was ancient Egypt to the north. The region remained largely autonomous and isolated until around the 6th century, when Christian missionaries began to convert the population. Soon churches were built throughout major Sudanese cities along the Nile. Around the 15th century, after trying to invade and settle in Sudan for years, Arabic Muslims from Egypt began to settle in the region. Soon the north of Sudan, an area closer to the Arabic world, became predominantly Muslim and Arab-speaking, causing many Sudanese Christians and tribal groups to move into the south of Sudan. This is when a key divide began to form in Sudan. The north was predominantly Muslim, and the south was mostly Christian and traditional groups. In the 19th century, the British and Egyptians colonized the region. Most of the economic investment during this time went to the northern area, leaving those in the south at a disadvantage. However, in 1956, both the British and Egyptians pulled out of the region, allowing Sudan to become its own unified country for the first time in history. This meant Sudan was the largest country in Africa. A democratic parliamentary system was set up, but the country immediately faced challenges. The political parties created were ill-defined and focused more on connections and loyalty rather than political belief. The failing government collapsed in 1958 when General Ibrahim Aboud staged a military coup and set up a military dictatorship. The government was mostly Muslim and enacted pro-Arab policies. At this point, the religious divisions within the country reached a tipping point. Southern Sudanese rebels formed militias and war broke out in the country. The civil war lasted until 1972 when a ceasefire was finally reached. During this first civil war, there were a number of dictators and a high amount of turnover within the Sudanese government. During the ceasefire, there were signs that Sudan was prioritizing economic development. However, this was short-lived because in 1983, fighting resumed. A group of southern Sudanese soldiers split from the Sudanese military and formed the Sudanese People's Liberation Army. They cited the government's increased corruption and disenfranchisement of the South as reasons for their exit. Shortly after this, in 1989, Omar al-Bashir becomes president of Sudan and is extremely oppressive. He arrests thousands of political prisoners, enacts Sharia law, and blocks humanitarian aid to drought-stricken areas of the country. This created a massive man-made famine. Throughout the 90s, the civil war rages on. It is not until 2005 that a breakthrough is reached. 
Thank you. The Comprehensive Peace Agreement, or CPA, was signed between the Sudan People's Liberation Movement, SPLM, and the Khartoum government in Nairobi in January 2005. In a process facilitated by Intergovernment Authority on Development, IGAD, the United States, the United Kingdom, and Norway, the agreement incorporated six protocols signed much earlier and marked the end of the Second Sudanese Civil War. The Comprehensive Peace Agreement is signed by both sides allowing the South to have semi-autonomous status. It even allowed a referendum six years later in which Southern Sudan could vote to secede from the country. When that time came in 2011, South Sudan overwhelmingly voted to secede. The move was praised by both the United States and the international community. South Sudan was the world's newest country and seemed to be a promising new democracy. So you're probably thinking the civil war was resolved and peace was brought to the region, right? Unfortunately, no. The UN presence and international attention towards the region dropped at this point. Both South Sudan and Sudan began to face their own individual internal conflicts. To start, let's look at Sudan. Remember President Omar al-Bashir? Well, he stayed in power before, during, and after the peace agreement was reached. The comprehensive peace agreement deal was flawed because the borders still excluded other regions that wanted to secede. One is a region in western Sudan called Darfar. It consists of mostly traditional groups that opposed Bashir's government throughout the civil war. Starting in 2003, his most horrendous attempt at ethnic cleansing began. Approximately 300,000 people have been killed in the region, in large part due to the Janjaweed, a militia group that has indiscriminately killed civilians. The Janjaweed soon evolved into a group known as the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, a militia part of the Sudanese military. They have been accused of a plethora of human rights crimes, ranging from mass rape, killing children, and burning children alive, attacking refugee camps, and using chemical weapons on civilians. In fact, experts believe that hundreds of villages throughout Darfar have been targeted using chemical weapons. Many of the hospitals in the region are incapable of treating chemical wounds, leaving some victims permanently injured. The conflict in the region is still ongoing, but rebels have been contained to one stronghold in the Mara Mountains. However, Darfar is not the only region excluded from the 2005 peace talks. The Nuba Mountains is a region along the border of Sudan and South Sudan that fought on behalf of the rebels during the civil war. This has created continued conflict in the region and produced a fierce military response from the Sudanese military. Over 4,000 bombs have been dropped on the Nuba Mountains, with some of the targets being schools, villages, and hospitals. This has resulted in approximately 97,000 people crossing the border into South Sudan. President Omar al-Bashir's actions throughout the country made him an increasingly unpopular figure. Sudan's population, one of the youngest in the world, began to organize protests against the government. The group leading this is the Sudanese Professionals Association, a group of peaceful protesters composed of Muslims and Christians alike. The group consistently protested in the capital of Khartoum, and President Omar al-Bashir resigned as president in 2019. Despite this, the issue was nowhere near resolved, and protests continued. This is because the transitional government consists of military leaders and is strongly influenced by Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, known as Hamedi. 
Remember the RSF, the group that carried out the ethnic cleansing in Darfar? Hamedi commanded those forces and is now managing the government in Sudan. So, as you can imagine, he has been ruthless in his treatment of protesters. And on June 3rd of 2019, military forces opened fire on a crowd of peaceful protesters, killing 100 people. A raid at dawn, when the protesters least expected it. Sudan's rapid support forces and the police moved in. Shots were fired as unarmed protesters dived for cover. For more than two months, they had protected their sit-in outside the army headquarters. The symbol of their defiance and their revolution. These are just a few examples of what the Sudanese people have had to deal with. What makes matters worse is that Sudan is a corridor for refugees traveling north to Europe. This has left the system even more overwhelmed than it was before. The European Union's involvement in facing the crisis has not helped either. They have formed a plan known as the Khartoum Process. Its claimed objective is to support refugee camps in Sudan, but it is actually an attempt to stop the flow of refugees to Europe. The aid and responsibility for this plan has ended up in the hands of none other than the RSF, who have abused refugees in these camps and are forcibly returning refugees to their former countries, a serious violation of international law. All these factors have created a worrying situation in Sudan. But South Sudan is also struggling. Within South Sudan, there are over 60 different ethnic groups. During the civil war, these groups put aside their differences and united to fight the government. However, once the civil war was over, tensions began to rise among these groups. The two largest of these groups are the Dinka and the Nuwar. In an attempt to promote unity, the newly elected president of South Sudan, Salva Kiir, a Dinka, made Rayak Machar, a Nuwar, his vice president. However, this unity was short-lived. The two began to criticize one another, and a rift of distrust between the two was forming. Eventually, President Salva Kiir accused Vice President Rayak Machar of staging a coup, which he denied. So, in 2013, civil war broke out in South Sudan. The war was so ferocious that in the first week of fighting alone, 1,000 people were killed, and 100,000 people were displaced. Both sides increasingly stoked division and fought over the country's precious oil resources. The United Nations conducted an investigation of the conflict in 2016 and concluded that the amount of rape in the country was mind-boggling and that gang rape had become normalized. What was even more concerning was that militants were beginning ethnic cleansing campaigns. One instance included the Dinka targeting the Shaluk minority and killing thousands of people. And when they came, what did they do? They killed the people, civilians. They don't care about who is it, girl, woman, old man, children. They kill everything here. The United Nations was concerned that ethnic cleansing on the scale of Rwanda could take place in the region. However, the war has since de-escalated. Both President Salva Kiir and former Vice President Rayek Machar met for peace talks, and there is now a ceasefire. Both agreed to re-merge the government. Now, former soldiers on both sides have been trained in policing and peacekeeping. But there have been concerning delays in creating the new government. This leaves some diplomats concerned as to whether conflict will escalate once more.
also the country is inundated with guns and weapons. This has led to a huge amount of gunshot wounds, which is overwhelming South Sudan's hospital system. These weapons have also been used in criminal and tribal conflicts, further destabilizing the country. As a result of this entire conflict, 2.1 million people have fled South Sudan and sought asylum in other countries. These countries have included Uganda, Sudan, Ethiopia, Kenya, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. As you can imagine, these camps are underfunded and undersupplied, with most assistance provided by the United Nations. Also, these developing countries face issues of their own, such as the DRC facing constant political instability, and as explained, Sudan has ongoing conflicts. This may explain why 300,000 South Sudanese refugees have returned to South Sudan. There are also 1.6 million internally displaced refugees within South Sudan, and they are joined by 300,000 refugees from other countries. The resources needed to support the huge amount of refugees within one country has strained war-torn South Sudan. As you can probably tell by now, the situations in Sudan and South Sudan are very complicated. In fact, this episode was especially hard to make because of that. Nonetheless, it seems that both countries are moving closer towards peace. The conflict in Darfar, Sudan seems to be slowly de-escalating, and the ceasefire in South Sudan is a positive step towards easing relations between different ethnic groups. To conclude, we want to recommend organizations that you can donate to that have been active in providing humanitarian aid in the region. This week, it is the International Rescue Committee. Right now, this organization is working in South Sudan and providing medical training to local health officials, human rights training to government officials, psychological services to survivors of sexual assault, and nutritional services. Another organization is, once again, Save the Children, who are providing educational and nutritional services to children in Sudan. Both of their links will be included in the description of this episode. Although we do recommend these organizations, it is important that you do your own research into these organizations before spending your own money. That's it for this episode of The Refugee Report. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen. All of our sources will be included in the description as well as the audio clips. Make sure you follow at Wartimade on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Tune in next week to hear about the refugee crisis in Afghanistan. As always, thank you for listening.